you'll see this morning that we are in Romans chapter 11. Now, if you have not been here for the whole series, just so you know, we are going verse by verse through the book of Romans. The theme is this. The book of Romans answers, it really uniquely answers the biggest questions of life. And we live in a world that experiences a lot of brokenness. In the, you see it on the media, you see it in relationships. There's a lot of brokenness in the world, and people ask the question often, why, or what is the answer, or what is there any hope? Well, the book of Romans carefully and systematically explains how the world got to be the way it is. The book of Romans explains then that the only hope is in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've been seeing that. And in fact, our theme verse is from Romans 1, and it's verses 16 and 17, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Let's, we've done this often. Let's read it together. Ready? Begin. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we've seen that played out. How did a person come into a right relationship with God? How is a person made right with God? And it's entirely by faith in Jesus. But then the book of Romans answers some difficult, more difficult questions. And so you'll notice your introduction this morning. We're coming to the end of an interesting section. We've been in chapters 9 through 11. And so in chapters 9 through 11, what we find is actually an explanation of how the whole Bible fits together. So if you'll bear with me, a lot, some of the message today will be a little bit like academic. It'll be a little bit like a class, and then we're going to make some application for our lives. But it's important that we have an understanding. You know, the Bible is a big book with a lot of truth, and it would do us all well to take time in our lives to study it and understand it. Wouldn't you agree with that? And so Romans 9, 10, and 11 explain how the whole story of the Bible fits together. For instance, let me give you an example. I did this last week. So I'm going to find the, this little break I have in my Bible, and you have the very same thing. There's going to be a page somewhere that says the New Testament. So this much of my Bible is the Old Testament. It's the big part. The bigger part. This is the New Testament. Now, which of these portions do you and I live in today? Where do we live? In this part or this part? The, the, the cheap part or the skinny part? We live in all of it, but we technically live right now in the skinny part. Right there. This part of the scripture, not entirely, but primarily deals with what group of people? The people of Israel. And so when you read the Old Testament in your Bible, you're reading how God uniquely used a group of people called Israel, called the Jewish people, and that he had a plan and a purpose for them. Now, what's amazing is that that group of people still exist today that God has providentially preserved the Jewish people, the Jewish nation as an identity up until now. But now, he said, you and I, we live in this part here. And the book, and what the Apostle Paul has been explaining in the book of Romans is that God 
is working the most right now. In this time, in this period right here, God is working most not with the Jewish people, but primarily with Gentiles. When the early church was founded, it was made up of Jews and Gentiles, and still today, there are many, but a very, it's, there are many people, but it's a minority. There are many Jewish people who are New Testament Christians. They believe in Christ as their Messiah. But when you come to Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul is answering the question, well, how do these two groups relate to each other now? Is God done working with Israel? Once we're in the New Testament, did he close the book on the nation of Israel? And what about how God is working with the Gentiles? So, as I said, 9, 10, and 11 of Romans puts this all together for us. Now, so in the background, you see that on your notes. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the plan of God. But now, there's one other thing I want you to notice. There's an interpretive rule, okay? There's an interpretive rule as we try to understand this passage, and that is this. When Paul is speaking in Rome, in these three chapters, he is addressing a corporate group, the corporate identity of Israel, and the corporate identity of the Gentiles. He is not speaking concerning individual people. He's speaking of people groups as a whole. I feel that that is hard for us in our Western mind. We're very individualistic, right? But we don't, as, as Eastern people, think more in group identity than Western people do. So when you come to this, you need to remember as we read this that it's dealing with Israel as a corporation and then the Gentiles as a corporate people. Now, we each have an individual role we play in that, and you'll see that, that come to pass here as we look at this. But if we, mix that, if we miss that corporate context, we can really misinterpret the text. And I don't have time, but if, you, if you're curious to know, I'd be more than happy to chat with you a little bit more about if you missed that, what are the misinterpretations? So, I say all of that to bring us to our passage today. Go down to verse number 16. You've got the context. It's talking about the relationship between Jews, Gentiles, and God's plan. Verse number 16. For if the first fruit be holy, then the lump is also holy. That there's a, there's a, it's an illustration. He says, if you take the first fruit, the first piece of grain, and you bake a loaf of bread with that beginning piece of grain, if that is holy, if that is pure and clean, then you're going to have a nice loaf of bread. Now, this is an illustration. So, if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. Now, we come to the illustration that he's going to spend the most time on. It's not bread, it's a tree. What is the illustration? It is a tree. Notice this. And if the root be holy, so are the what? The branches. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Verse 17 now. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a, say this with me, don't mind, being a what? A wild olive tree. Anybody have any olive trees in their yard? <laughs> we don't have a particularly hospitable climate for olive trees here. But I think if you have, how many of you have apple trees in your yard? Who's got the apple? Yep, a lot of us do, okay? I've got some that I've worked tirelessly to nurture up from little saplings. 
Two-thirds of them were decimated by the deer, but I've got the third that remains, so I'm proud of those little apple trees. Um, all right, I digress. Back on track. So the th now the illustration is an olive tree. Thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. You say, all right, what are we talking about? Well, if you open your notes, you'll see first, the first main section here is this, the olive tree and the wild olive tree. The olive tree and the wild olive tree. Now, when he speaks of the olive tree, he's speaking of the nation of Israel. Corporate Israel is the olive tree in this illustration. Now, how many of you, anybody been to Israel before? Who's been? There's like four or five in here that have been to Israel my dad and mom are actually getting ready to go to Israel this month, and uh, I'm pretty excited for them. I have never been, and one of these years I'd love to go. But if you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what you will see. Who's seen this before? You've been there. This is a grove of olive trees. Now, some of these trees, the arborists tell us, are well in excess of 1,000 years old. Some of them, they believe, actually may have been little trees at the time that Jesus and the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. The olive tree is, was a staple, it still is really a staple of Mediterranean agriculture. So the, the, the picture of the olive tree would have been very, very vibrant in their mind. They would have understood it. And he's saying that Israel is like, Israel was like God's beautiful olive tree. And so the, the next image is just show you that the, the, the beautiful branch of an olive tree and the idea of producing the olive. The olives were used to, they, they, they didn't serve them on a cocktail platter like you and I did. They would most likely, they'd press them, they'd make oil out of them, and, and it was a, just a staple of their lives. So the olive sim, uh, symbolism is very rich here. Now, before you turn the picture, don't turn the picture on me yet, okay? So, notice a couple of things in your note. This olive tree symbolizes Israel as a nation, as a, as a people. Now, what has happened, you'll notice also, if you were looking at verse number 17, that some of the branches are broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. And with them partakest, with them partakest of, the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So there is this tree, go back to the picture of the tree, all of the life and all of the strength and all of the fruit production of this tree is found where? You got it. It's found where? You know where it is. It's found in what? It's found in the root. And from the root comes life. From the root comes nourishment. And what the scripture says here, if there is a holy and a blessed root. It describes it as the fatness. That means the, the blessing and the fullness that comes from it. Now, what is this? Speaking of Israel, well, there's two aspects here. The holy and blessed root was this, that in the, in the ancient times, if this, tree, if this tree symbolizes Israel as a nation, then the root was the promise that the root was the promise that God made to Abraham. 
that he would make a great nation, that he would bless. And you can read about this in the book of Genesis. And Abraham's a real person, lived 4,000 years ago. And God said to this man in the desert, I'm going to make a great people out of you. And even today, the Jewish people trace their lineage back to Abraham. And the promise that God made is secure. Listen, if you are somebody who is skeptical of the Bible, and I understand we live in a very skeptical time, the very fact that a promise that was made to a a, a wandering man in the desert 4,000 years ago is still intact today is a testament to the reliability of the Bible. But that is not the ultimate root of Israel. The Bible teaches that the true root of Israel is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus Christ. In fact, I gave you two references, Isaiah 11.10, and it says this. This is back the prophet Isaiah. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Who is this speaking of? Jesus. Jesse is the father of David. This is saying that there would be somebody that comes from the line of David who is the true root of Israel. The symbolism is throughout the Bible. And then, just just in case there's any doubt, Jesus speaks on this in Revelation 22.16. Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Say it with me now. I am Jesus. The root. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Jesus. He is the root. The promise that was made to Israel is not founded primarily in Abraham, but was found, it was founded in Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. But then there's not just an olive tree and a root, but we see, saw in these two verses there are broken branches. There are broken branches. Now, what are the broken branches? The broken branches are unbelieving Israel. They are those who are, they were connected, they are of the offspring, they're of the lineage of Israel, but they have rejected Jesus as Messiah, and so because of that, they are broken branches. They've been cut off from the promises, they've been cut off from Christ. Now, you you got one step ahead of me with the picture there, but that's okay. What the miracle is this that's described. The the apostle says this, while some of the natural branches are broken off, God has called people from the Gentile nations. And what's the word? What is taking place here? They're being grafted in. There's new branches being grafted in from a wild olive tree. Now, again, it's not talking about individuals per se. It's talking, about, it's talking about the Gentiles as a people, that they did not belong to the original tree, the original promise. But even what we just read about the promised root, that the Gentiles would seek it, it was prophesied. So even in the Old Testament, it was told that through Israel, through this root and through this tree, that God would bring other people into his fold. And so what happens is just like a a horticulturalist or an arborist can do today, is you can take, you can go to another tree and you can take a branch, you can take a, uh, you, you can take something from another tree, you can bring it to an old broken branch, you can attach that, and it will grow 
as a branch. It will be connected. Has anybody ever done this before? Who are my grafters in here? Wow, I'm kind of impressed, actually. Like, not something I ever have, uh, have tried to do. So this, this picture is that the tree, God is bringing a beautiful tree together. While some have broken and some have fallen off, there are new wild branches that are bringing, being grafted in and they are enjoying the blessings of the root. Jesus spoke to this, and, and you need to look at this very short verse carefully. John 4 and verse 22. This is a key verse. So take a look at John chapter 4 and verse 22. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says this. Ye worship, ye know not what. He was talking to someone in context who was confused about proper worship. And she was not a Jewish person. But now he says, speaking of the Jews, we know what we worship. For salvation is what? Of the Jews. That, that doesn't mean it only belongs to the Jews. That's not what Jesus was saying. But salvation in, in God's plan, God's plan was to call this group of people Israel and to bring salvation to whom? To the whole world. But it began with the nation of Israel. Are you with me so far? Okay. So with that in mind, let's look at the second theme in this passage. There is an olive tree and a wild olive tree. Israel is the original root, but those of the Gentiles can be grafted in and be part of it. This was God's plan. Now, secondly, we are grafted by grace. How this happens was by grace. Now, this is really important. Look with me at verse 18. Verse number 18. Now Paul is speaking to the Gentiles. And as he speaks to the Gentiles in verse 18, he says this. Boast not. Boast not against the branches. Do you understand what he means by that? The idea is he says to the Gentile people who are part of the church now, he says, don't think you are something special. Don't we have that attitude of self-righteousness? Doesn't it just come naturally to us? And, and a lot of times Christians where we come to Christ broken and sinful, we, where we come with sinful past and we say, Jesus, take my sin, forgive me of my sin. We're cleansed and we're made right. And then if we're not careful, an attitude starts to creep up in our lives. And there are some Christians that start to get the idea, well, after all, as a Christian, I'm better than all those people in the world. Now, we wouldn't say that. I've never really heard anybody say that. But I've sure seen some Christians act like that. I've probably been guilty of it a time or two in my life. You see, just a little lesson for us all. We are not better than anyone. But we have found grace. We have found forgiveness. We are just as much. We're, so what his point here is, he says, because these Gentiles as a group, they could have said, oh, well, look, God is done with those Jews. They rejected Christ. He says, don't boast against the branches. If thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. You understand that? It's a, a, almost a bit of uh, irony here. He's saying, hey, why are you so boastful? And, and this was happening in the church there that Gentile people were, were just looking down at Jewish people and he says, what are you doing? Who belongs to who? Right? Your whole identity as a Christian 
is rooted in Judaism, which is rooted in Christ Jesus. We as Christians. Now, you say, okay, so what? What does that mean? You say, so what, Ethan? We need to understand this. And this is very important culturally. This is very important politically. Anti-Semitism is satanic. Now, we should have learned that from recent history with the Holocaust. But there are even people today that, that are Holocaust deniers. And sadly, in the history of the church, there have even been people in the name of Christ who have brought falsely, I, I might add, and wickedly, but in the name of Christ, have brought hatred and even animosity and, and in some cases, persecution to the Jewish people. These kinds of passages should make that clear once and for all that among Christians, there is no place at all for any type of anti-Semitism. It's very important that as you vote for your politicians, what is their attitude toward Israel? Very important. There is an ancient promise. You say, you believe that? Well, I believe the Bible. I haven't found one promise, one promise where God has ever let me down. So I believe it all. And there's an ancient promise in the book of Genesis, speaking of the children of Abraham. God said, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. Be careful. In, an, in, an, in our national identity, you say, Ethan, you're, you're, this is politics. What place is this in the pulpit? Well, when politics crosses the scriptures, that's when the preacher is supposed to speak about politics. So if you would vote for someone that is opposed to the nation of Israel, you are putting yourself in opposition against God. So just con please consider that. But it doesn't just extend to our politics, it extends to our personal attitudes as well. And I think we realize that as Christians, there's no place for any type of prejudice in our lives whatsoever. But the context of the passage is specifically dealing with the nation of Israel. No people, if you're following along, no people are greater than any other. We've all been chosen by grace. In fact, I put a passage here, Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 7. This is what God said to Israel. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And you can just imagine the ego building. Yes, the special people. Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he has sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, every person who's in a relationship with God, whether Jewish or Gentile, whether Old Testament or New Testament or future yet to come, we all are the people, if we are the people of God, it is not because of who we are, it is because of his grace to save us. Listen, you cannot be religious enough, you cannot have the, best, the, the greatest bloodline, you can't be talented enough, you can't be educated enough, you cannot be prosperous enough to secure your standing before God. It is entirely by his grace.
And he uses this illustration to remind us all of that. It's all by grace. So we're chosen by grace, and then Israel was rejected because of unbelief. I won't read all these passages. I put some of them on there for your, your further study. Look with me now back in Romans 11 and verse 19. Now he's supposing these questions that these Gentiles might ask. Thou wilt say then, well, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. They're almost like, well, this is what God wanted to do. God broke them off so he would make room for me. He says, no, you missed the point. Verse 20, well, well, it's because of unbelief that they were broken off. Who did the breaking here? Who broke them off? You can say, well, God did. Yes, but why? Because of their unbelief. Because of unbelief. They were broken off and thou standest by faith. The only reason you're in and anyone is out is nothing that you've done. It's all because of what? Faith. Your standing before God is entirely by faith. It's not anything good about us. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Oh, boy, that's interesting, isn't it? God is both good and gracious, as we sang about. You're a good and gracious king, but he is also holy and just and severe. And he gives each of us the opportunity. We can approach God in severity by rejecting him. If you reject Jesus, you face the severity and the wrath of God. But if you believe in Jesus, if you receive Jesus, you face a good and gracious king. It's beautiful. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. Now again, this is a, a note here why I said you need to understand he's speaking corporately to the nation of Israel. little note for the Bible scholars in here. You see the word thou in here, okay? It's a singular word. In, a, in the King James translation, whenever you see thee or thou, it's singular. He's not speaking to each of the individuals. He uses a singular tense because he's speaking to the Gentiles as a whole. He's not telling an individual person, you know, you better keep believing or you'll be lost. No, we know that we're secure in Christ. He's speaking, to the, to, he's speaking hypothetically to the Gentile people that there's nothing about your identity that makes you worthy. It's only Christ. Chosen by grace but rejected because of unbelief. Now I want you to see this. God is still grafting branches into his olive tree. This is, I think, the coolest part. Up! Oh. They're broken. They rejected Jesus, so they're broken off from the branch. They're broken off from the tree. Look at verse 23. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief. What does that mean, if they abide not still in unbelief? If they decide to stop being unbelievers, if they decide to turn their hearts to Christ, what can happen? They'll be what? Graft in. For God is able to graft them in again. Even though they've been broken off, 
God says, I can still bring you back. Aren't you thankful that he is the God of second chances? He's the God of second chances for whole nations, and he's the God of second chances for individual people. And he can take Israel, and he says he can graft them back in. Verse 24, after all, if you who were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted, graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? You say, what is he, what is he talking about here? He's leading us to something. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. God is not finished with the people of Israel. Do you remember at the beginning I told you that this passage is teaching us how all of the scriptures, how the whole story of scripture comes together. And remember I showed you there's the chunky part and there's the skinny part. Guess what? There's another part coming. There's another part coming. It's prophesied about in the book of Daniel. It's prophesied about in the book of Revelation. And Paul is telling us right here, there is a future coming where God is again going to work through the nation of Israel. You're like, man, I've never heard this stuff before. Could you explain it more? Don't have time. Like, there's so much in the scripture that tells us about the things that are still to come. But it's a, a wonderful study. It's enriching and encouraging that every promise, it just amazes me. Just let me digress for a minute. It just amazes me that all of the promises about Jesus coming the first time were perfectly fulfilled. I mean, we're going to go to Christmas here in a few, in a few weeks. We're going to start celebrating Christmas. And I love it because it just takes us to those ancient promises that, are, that were fulfilled in Christ. I mean, promises like that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would come out of Egypt, that he would ride on a donkey, that he would be crucified. All of these prophecies were so precisely fulfilled. And do you know why that excites me? Because as you study the Old Testament, you'll discover that there are a bunch of promises that have still not been fulfilled yet. And most of them concern the nation of Israel. It's the future that God has planned. God's promise is on the back of your handout. Now we're coming in for a landing in a few minutes. Notice this. God's promises to Israel have not been canceled. Did you catch that? God's promises to Israel have not been canceled. There is a popular, uh, well, it, it comes and goes over the years, but there's a teaching among some groups of Christians that God is done with Israel and that the church has completely replaced Israel. Don't buy it for a second. There are still promises yet to be fulfilled to the nation of Israel. And Romans 11 is reminding us of this. So, look at, look at what's explained. What verse I leave off on? 24? Look at verse number 25. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted, or graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these? Oh, I'm in 24 still. My apologies. Verse 25. Let's try that one. I'm like, this looks familiar. Verse 25. For I would not, brethren that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Interesting, he's telling us that part of this is supposed to, the reason, you're like, why are we studying this? Well, Paul tells us, so that we don't get a big head, so we don't get all proud, that we are a part of God's plan, but we're not the whole story. Did your mom ever tell you the world doesn't revolve around you? 
Did your wife ever tell you the world doesn't revolve around you? I get confused about that a lot, right? So anyway, moving right along. Verse 26. Or no, now the true verse 25, right? Did I ever read verse 25? Yeah, we were in the middle of it. Back it up to verse 25. Okay. Don't be wise in your own conceits. Understand that this blindness partially happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So right now, God is allowing multitudes and multitudes of Gentiles to come in. But there'll be a day when that mission is accomplished. And God's attention will again turn to the nation of Israel when that fullness is done. Now verse 26. And so, what's it say? Two words. What? All Israel shall be what? Saved. Again, this is why you have to understand, like I said at the beginning, the corporate versus individual idea. There is a coming generation of Israel in the last days there is a coming generation of Israel that as a nation will all turn to Jesus as Messiah, will all turn to Christ as Savior. All Israel shall be saved. That God's plan is not done yet. Why? It says, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. You see, Jesus came the first time as a baby in a manger, crucified. But he's coming the second time as the deliverer, as the mighty king, as the warrior to take the throne in Jerusalem. And that Mount of Olives, by the way, is where he's returning to. Shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Verse 27, for this is my covenant unto them. A covenant, a promise. God makes a promise. This is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. In other words, when God makes a promise, he what? He keeps it. How often? Every single time when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And that's why we hold in our book the precious promises of God. You ought to love this book. You ought to read this book. I was just I was excited, and I don't do this very often, but I was just excited that my son, Gideon, who turned 14 today, happy birthday, he's embarrassed now, I don't do this too often, but Gideon turned 14 today, and he told Deborah that for his birthday, he, he, wanted an, he wanted one of those study Bibles with all the notes and the maps in it. And we got to get him a Bible for his birthday. Now, he also is a baseball fanatic. So, I, I, you know, we got him some baseball stuff too, right? So, so it's cool. But boy, and I look around at our young people, and I see, and I'm thankful for all of our children's workers and all of the teen workers and you parents that just you get the word of God to your kids. Because I grew up with just a love for this book. And, and for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What you read here in a world of uncertainty, what you read here you can count on. And you're like, Ethan, I'd love to believe that. It sounds good, but I just don't know if I can. Well, study a little more. Ask God to speak to your heart. Have a truly open mind. 
You're like, you know, you seem so confident that you believe this. I mean, aren't these just ancient words? Weren't these written by men? I don't believe that. As I've studied the history of it, and I've, as I've experienced the transformational power of it, I believe, and we believe as a local church, that every word, every word is true and faithful. And you say, I'm just not there yet. Well, have an open heart. Again, we say we live in a world of open mind. I've discovered that sometimes people are open to every idea and philosophy except for the Bible. If you come with honest questions, God, can, God says, come, let us reason together. God can handle honest questions. But boy, you should at least want it to be true, to have something certain in such an uncertain world. The word of God will stand forever, Jesus said. And the promises to Israel are proof of that. One of the, one of the proofs of that. Verse, 20, verse number 30, For as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they, may, they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. You see, one day, the church and Israel will be united as the eternal people and kingdom of God. And that is the future that we look forward to. So you say, okay, well, that's all great. It's all yet to come in the future, I understand. So what should, so what do I do about that now? Like, as I walk out here today, how does any of this change my life? But if you go back to that olive tree, Kayla, I, I, I would just imagine myself, and you imagine yourself, as one of the branches in that tree. I mean, you're probably not a, you know, you may not be a big, strong, sturdy branch, but maybe you're, maybe you're just a little twig. But even the smallest twig enjoys the blessings of the root of that mighty olive tree. Even the smallest branch can bring forth olives that are for the joy and pleasure of the master of the garden. I would say this. If you're a Christian, enjoy the blessings of being rooted in Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, it's time to get grafted into the tree. It's time to make the decision where you say, Jesus, I'm tired of living this life on my own. I'm tired of just being a broken, dry, withered branch destined for eternal doom. I've had enough of it. And I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I turn to you as my savior. The Bible says when that happens, there's a lot of illustrations. The Bible says it's like being born again. But it's also like being connected to the source of eternal life. And there's an open invitation to come and anchor your life, root your life in Christ. Listen, we're all rooted in something. There's nobody that says, well, I just have my own views and I look at life my own way. If you're honest, there's really no one who's a truly independent person. We're all anchored in something. We're all basing our lives on something. 
And what I've discovered that most people are basing their lives on, in fact, people have said, well, I don't know, you're going to live your life, you know, based on a book? And I would say, well, what are you basing your life on? And I'll hear co-workers talk and break room philosophize about life or whatever and what, where, and people just try to figure out all these things on their own. But the truth is, God has revealed them to us. And the answer is getting our lives back into Christ. Would you receive Jesus today? If you have not ever done that, would you make today the day that you surrender to Christ as an unworthy sinner that needs his grace? And once that happens, you join the rest of us in just enjoying the blessings of being rooted in him, bearing the fruit, being connected to that tree. Paul would write about it this way in Ephesians chapter 3. I just want you to, I'm going to slowly read this passage. And he describes what, it, what life is like in Christ. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Jew, Gentile, male, female, the whole family in heaven, is named, in heaven and earth is named. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that Jesus would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit where? Inside. Boy, don't we need, like you can, you can buff up this outside. Clearly I have not, but you could. You can buff up this outside, but the real strength is found in here. that he would grant you, according to the rich of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted, see it? Rooted and grounded in love. You don't need to approach God in fear. Jesus took that on the cross. Rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. We talked about a lot of knowledge today. It was a bit of a Sunday school lesson. But all of that knowledge is supposed to fuel our love and devotion for Christ that gives us strength in the inner man that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Are you living? You say, Ethan, I am a Christian. I have received Jesus as my Savior. Is your life overflowing with the fullness of of the root, being rooted in Christ? Or do you just need to refocus this morning and reprioritize this morning and stop focusing on the externals but start focusing on what Christ is doing in you? As we come to a conclusion, maybe you need to take some time this morning at the end of the service and just be prayerful and say, God, thank you for bringing me into your family. Help me experience your abundance in my life.
but maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior, would you make that decision right now? Could we do this? We do this each week. We have a time of invitation. We bow our heads, we close our eyes, we come to a time of prayer. Would you, would you just simply bow your head and close your eyes? I like to think of it as a time to reflect and respond. Just think about that for a minute. Reflect and respond. We reflect on the word of God. What did we hear? And then we respond, what will we do? Otherwise, it's just words. What action will you take based on this teaching today? For the Christian, we, we just finished speaking about that. Refocus on your spiritual life. Experience the love and the fullness of, and satisfaction that only Jesus can give. But for the uncertain, listen, if you are in this room or if you are watching this message, wherever you are this morning, if there is any doubt in your mind, you say, well, I don't know. I mean, I know about Jesus. I've been to church, or I grew up around it, or I, I mean, I believe in Jesus, I think. Is there any doubt in your mind? If there is any doubt, would you make certain your relationship with Christ today? Say, I'm just not, I'm not 100% sure. Make it certain. Say, yes, I'd like to do that. Well, I'll lead you in a prayer. There's no magic words to this prayer. You can, you can say different words. It's really about your heart. But right now, wherever you are, would you pray something like this to the Lord? You want to make sure that you're a child of God. You want to make sure that heaven is your home. Would you pray something like this? Say, dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your love, but I believe Jesus, that you died and rose again. I believe that you paid my penalty. And right now, I put my faith in you. Right now, I put my faith in you. Please save me. Now, if you prayed that this morning, and you meant it with your heart, the Bible says that you've just been grafted into the family of God. Is anyone that would say, you know, no one's looking around, whether you're watching on the internet this morning or you're here in the room, would you let, us, let me know, say, Ethan, yes, I, may, I wasn't sure, but today I made sure. With nobody looking, if there's anybody in the room, you'd say, Ethan, today I made that decision. Would you slip up your hand real quick and put it down? Just quickly put it up. Amen, I see that hand. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Anybody watching on the internet, you'd say, today I made sure I put my faith and trust in Christ. Just send a message. You just put it in the Facebook Messenger to our church. Be like, hey, I asked Jesus to save me. I made sure. Amen. Christians, let's just have a little bit longer time to pray, time to just solidify what we've looked at this morning. Father, we thank you that you meet every need. We thank you that your presence in our lives is real. Lord, I pray for any that are struggling with a burden this morning, that they would realize that you are all that we need. We come, some with thankful and joyful hearts this morning, some with heavy hearts. But Lord, you are, you are strong enough to carry it all. 
thank you for meeting with us today. As we lift up our voices, Lord, we want you to receive all the honor. We want you to receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.